0: The message the Lord's put on my heart to bring today is the nature of revival. The purpose is to reveal what God says in his word and what he's fulfilled in his promises to us and the way that he meets us in that space to revive us and to clarify what it means to sustain it, what it means to sustain it. Because it's so much easier than we think, Um, you know, I feel like there are a lot of, Uh, conversations happening right now as revival is sparking about what does it look like to steward this uh, to the will of the Lord. And so I feel like that's a very important topic we should address as a church and understand what God has to say about it. So we'll go into Isaiah 57 and camp out there for a little while. And then we're going to wrap up in first Peter. So Isaiah 57, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me there. Okay. So in the first two verses, we're seeing righteous men perishing and no one laying it to heart. These are devout men. They're taken away and no one understands. No one comprehends what's happening here Uh, for the righteous man is taken away from calamity, entering into peace. These people are actually being killed and they're being removed in many ways. But this is the mercy of God. One of the things that I want to be clear about is I want to honor the prophecies that are happening here in Isaiah 57. But I want to bring this passage also into present day so that we understand how it relates to us now. Um, And contextually, I also want to honor that, too. But when you're looking at these first two verses, there's coming judgment on Judah. Uh, The Babylonian Empire is going to conquer, kill and exile Jews, and it's going to last 70 years. So what we're seeing here in many ways in this particular uh, passage in the first two verses is that God is mercifully sparing righteous people by removing them from that attack, from what's going to be coming on the land, what's going to be to come. You know, it's it's very interesting how God works in these matters. There's always a remnant. But when we start to see the righteous moving out, when we start to see God protecting his people in that way and pulling them out of oppression and moving them into other spaces, we can understand the condition of the culture. And that's important to note when we're in America, looking at our nation and understanding the condition of our culture. We have a lot of unfaithful people. If you go into the next two verses, the sons of the sorceress, the offspring of the adulterer, and the loose woman are addressed. And the question is, whom are you mocking? These are the unfaithful people mocking the righteous, even, in their attempts to pursue God, living holy lives, dwelling in unity, being God's people, being the house of God. They are being mocked. That is happening in our nation right now. The evil are mocking those who are good in God's eyes. We see that condition. And not only are they mocking the righteous, but they're deranged to sacrifice their firstborn children alive to a pagan God. This God is called Molech. We can see this a couple verses down. In in verse 5, you see that the people are burning with lust among the oaks under the green trees and slaughtering their children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks. This is human sacrifice. And it's human sacrifice even born from pagan ritual that includes sexual practices. This is incredibly debased. These things are happening in our nation still. We're seeing some of the wealthy elite sacrificing children to pagan gods. We're seeing it in Uganda right now, too. They're sacrificing children, taking their body parts, even using them for specific parts of the rituals because they believe that it cures illnesses, believes it brings them financial prosperity. We're seeing it across the nations, even particularly in America. We're seeing it. There's there's trafficking, there's trade. You know, we have fallen into a very deep and dark space. The depravity of man is completely dark. But there's good news and it's upcoming. (laughs) Um, Let's look, though. In verse 6, these smooth stones, and in the valley is the portion. They're, They're actually taking drink offering. They're taking grain offering. These are things reserved for the Lord. These are Jewish practices, and they're mingling them with paganism. And so God does not look lightly on this. He does not look lightly on this. We are literally, even as a nation now, taking that which belongs to him, what is he's given us? This is our inheritance. The children are our inheritance. And, and this, in this particular case, they were killing their firstborn, their gifts, their inheritance from God. And in, And let's look at this, too. In Leviticus 18, it says, you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. This is a very specific command that God gave. And they're violating that in particular, that very one God, because they're taking the children that God is giving them as an inheritance to build the nation, these are the inherited people of God himself to be given to Christ. These are, these are his chosen people, and they're giving them to another God. They're giving them over to death, to false belief, to false practice. And this is a lot of what America is doing right now. The, the very inheritance that we've been given, the very nation, the land, everything that God has put in our hands is being given over to false gods, literally being killed at this point. In the face of God. And as this is going on, we go into the verses 7 and 10. 7 through 10. And we see desertion. We see spiritual adultery and breaking of covenant. This is important. So let's take a look at this. We see behind the door and on the doorpost where God commanded the Jewish people to put the verses, the scriptures, that they would be with them, that they would be protected in them, and that it would really define that house, the house of God. They're putting these other things in their place, setting up memorials. And, and God says it, it, here through the prophet, he says, deserting me, he says, you've uncovered your bed. You've gone up to it. You've made it wide. You've made a covenant for yourself with them. You've loved their bed. You've looked on their nakedness. This is exactly what happened to Solomon. Do you guys remember the story of Solomon and how he raised up a high place in Jerusalem to Molech? The very same God, the very same one. And he did that to pacify his foreign wives, which he was forbidden to take on. And they brought that influence in. And so you see this picture of spiritual adultery. You see this picture of an opening up of of marrying in the flesh, marrying to themselves this lie. And they're exchanging the truth of God for a lie, giving away their inheritance for something broken and putrid. You know, the heart of God is expressed in Jeremiah 3 he says, How I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage of most beautiful of all nations, and I thought you would call me my father. And would not turn away from following me, surely, as a treacherous wife leaves her husband, so you have been treacherous to me, declares the Lord, when he's addressing his people. So that pain, if if anyone's ever known anyone who's experienced adultery, if if anyone's been on either side of that or knows someone who's walked through it, it's a deep betrayal. It's, It's a very painful experience emotionally. And this is where God walks with us. He strives with us. You know, at, at one point it's it's harlot Israel, it's it's harlot Judah. But praise God, it becomes Virgin Israel, Virgin Judah. We'll see a little bit more about that in a second. But but his his wrath is delayed. So we're looking at the situation now, we're seeing how dark it's become, the treatment of the righteous, the sacrificing of children, the the crippling condition of the culture, and just how treacherous it is. And God is striving with them. If you look into the next verses in 11 through 13, but not skipping 10, this is important because he says here, you were weary with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength and you weren't faint. You know, this is a, a sin that seemed attractive, obviously, to them in the beginning, like most of it is to us when we're baited by it, we're lured into it. You know, we we think that because God doesn't punish us in 24 hours or maybe even 24 days that he doesn't see or he doesn't care. And that's not his heart. He's long suffering. He's slow to anger. He's merciful. And so we can see this in verse 11. He says, whom did you dread and fear? They don't have fear of the Lord anymore because he's long suffering. They are unafraid. They're not fearing God. He says, Who did you fear and dread so that you lied and you did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time, and yet you do not fear me? I preached some time ago on the fear of the Lord and that God calls us into that fear. It's a reverence. It's an appreciation for his majesty, his power, and all that he's capable of, and all that he is. We should fear the one who can take the soul. We don't fear man. We don't fear anything else. We should give our fear to the one who deserves it. When we fear anything else, we ascribe greatness to that thing. We say, this is worthy to be feared because it's not under his authority. It's not under his control. So we're seeing the people in this situation not fearing God. They're completely gone. They're completely gone from relationship with him. They've turned and they've they've gone the other way. Miles and miles and miles away. And so then it said, I'll declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. And that verse, God is is talking about, you know, the, the hope of man is vain. Babylon will invade. The Jews will cry out for help. The idols won't be there to help them and in fact just the breath will take him away. But God says that he says the help of man is vain and that includes the idols they build. But through him we shall do valiantly. And he also says I've not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I've said unto the seed of Jacob, you know don't you don't seek me in vain. I the Lord speak righteousness I declare the things that are right. You know his word does not return void. We're not seeking him in vain. But in this case, when they're to cry out, they're going to learn very quickly. Now, in this, in this stage, when Babylon comes in, they're going to learn very quickly who is in control. And what these idols profit, which is nothing. And who the true God is. So they're going to be put in a place of desperation. They're going to be put in a place of dependency on God. Full dependency on God. But the good news is, he says, but... He who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. Now, the holy mountain in Jerusalem is admittance to high spiritual privileges and joys, as great as if they had the possession of a portion of the mount on which the temple was built and they were permitted to dwell there. This is God's promise to those who will take refuge in him in these times, who will turn, who will repent who will come to the true living God. He says in verse 14, says it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. And so we're looking at a, a forerunner of sorts here. We're looking at pioneer people. We're looking at those who are called to build up the highway. We're called to build a high road for God's people. And to clear the obstructions in the way, whatever is in the way and whatever gets in the way, we must tear it down. So we know we have weapons of warfare in the spirit. We have weapons of righteousness in our right hand, in our left hand. Right. So we have evil being overcome by good. Good is a weapon. Good is a weapon. Right. Our prayers are effective for tearing down strongholds. That's also a weapon. We have these things given to us by God. But he says to prepare this way and remove the obstruction. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. This is important. We have to recognize him for who he is. He wants us to fear him. He wants to be acknowledged for who he is. That's important because repentance is going to come when we acknowledge God as God, as sovereign. We have to put him in the proper context. We have to see him rightly. And he says, God says, I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. That is called revival. That is called revival. And that is the God who dwells in the heavens. He dwells in the high place, but yet he's also low. He's also low. God is calling us to repentance. He is calling us to humility. He's calling us to get low. And when we get low, especially in numbers, in unity, he will do powerful things. But it's at a time of his choosing. He says right here, I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the the spirit would grow faint before me. And the breath of life that I made, that's his mercy again. He's seeing the condition of the people. He sees the culture, but yet he says, even though you've done this, I will not be angry forever. I won't contend with you forever. Why? Because you couldn't bear it. You could not bear it. So he comes to revive, and it's when he chooses to do so. He says, because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry, I struck him, I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. He is the nation. Okay. He is the people. But he says this. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners. So that's the heart of God. That's the nature of revival. Even when we're in this space, even in our nation right now, even despite the things that we're doing collectively as a people, guess what? He says he's going to come heal us. He's going to come heal us. And Mr. Klong said that earlier today, you know, that, that passage about us turning back to God and him healing our land from Second Chronicles. It's in, it's in here. Um, amen. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's another verse in Lamentations. It says, just let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and hands to God in heaven. That is the key. God is wanting humility from us. He wants repentance and he wants us to come together in that action as a church and there's a reason for that and we're going to talk about how that makes us a house here in just a second but he says further here he says i'm going to create the fruit of the lips when he does that peace peace to the far and to the near says the lord and i will heal him now we know paul we know the 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 jews we know the gentiles we know that this is for everybody we know that this is prophetic in that sense we do but it is also the visual of the widespread peace the creating of the fruit of our lips what are we going to be speaking here we're going to be speaking thanksgiving we're going to be giving praise he's going to give that to us for what he's done and what he's doing when we keep speaking that out to him as he's working in that space he keeps meeting us there that's stewarding revival He's coming. He says, I will revive the spirit of the lowly. I will revive the heart of the contrite. And as we continue to work in that way with him, to continue to get low and continue to speak out the praise for what he's doing, he will continue it. It will be perpetual. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked some will not change some will not repent but in the end we have the peace we have the victory they do not and it doesn't matter what it looks like right now it doesn't matter if they're mocking us right now it doesn't matter if they're sticking their tongues out right now like it says in Isaiah 57 it doesn't matter we know the end God promises the end this has been brought to fruition this has happened the 70 years have passed but this is still relevant today This is still relevant today. Let's go to 1 Peter. We're going to be building on the holy mountain in 1 Peter. I want to also kind of bridge this gap. We talked about the holy mountain in verse 13 from Isaiah 57. But in Isaiah 56, it says this. For those people who are going to hide in God and who choose his ways and who turn to worship him... That is a bit of a paraphrase to get to verse seven, but it is for those people. There are many who fall into that category who are ensnared by idolatry, by all kinds of of sin in their life. But they come to this place that says to these, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The revival, guys, is for everyone. The peace near and far, it is for everyone. This is the heart of God to bring the nations and the people together and to revive them for his specific purposes in this season. And and in stewarding that, and also bringing this into the foreground, into today, verse 13 says, we need to be preparing our minds for action and being sober-minded. We need to set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus. And as obedient children, not to be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. This is not something we need to keep repeating. We need to change the trajectory. We don't need to go back to our vomit. That's not the heart of the Lord. He says, the one who called you is holy. You also be holy in your conduct. This is what what God is asking from us in this time. It's the repentance. It's the coming into the calling and walking after Jesus Christ as the way imitating him. We are to imitate him. He says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And we talked about this in Isaiah 57 about exile. We talked about righteous people even being pushed out. We talked about the Babylonians coming in, and there would be others who would go into exile. Now we're looking at this here in 1 Peter. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. Again, present day, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. It's not in idols. It's not in man. It's not in any of those vain things that can't save you in the time of trouble. It's in the blood of Christ. It is in the living God. And this is really important in verse 22. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Amen. And and that is that is our call to conduct. That is our call together as brothers and sisters in Christ that will fuel the fire of revival. That will do it. It's just like when the 120 came together in the upper room in Acts. When they agreed, when they came into accord, the Holy Spirit moved and powerfully. Wind, fire. It will carry the fire. The Holy Spirit's heart is to move this. It is. That's scriptural. But it says here further, it says, it's the living and abiding Word of God because all flesh is like grass and it's glory like the flower of grass and it withers and it falls. But the Word of the Lord remains forever. It remains forever. And so I'm going to finish here. Chapter 2. So it says, When you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Again, chosen. God chooses. He chooses you. He chooses when to establish revival. And he chooses the mode. He chooses the tone. But he calls us into this place. And we're to be like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. He's calling us into that house. I mentioned it from Isaiah 56 earlier. He wants us to keep building the house. And as we do that, and we continue in that work, we will see him move mightily. What does it look like 100%? I can't tell you that. We're in the beginning stages of this. But we're seeing it and it's starting. And this is where we're called to go. As a house. To steward the presence of God. As brothers and sisters. Engaging one another in that space. Living out the call of Jesus on our life. It's very simple but it's very hard. (laughs) It is hard. I I said that to... Colin one day, I said, you know, this unity thing is a lot harder than I expected it to be. Um, and I stand by that. Yeah, but, but that's the glory in it. That's the glory in it. What we overcome to achieve it. The offenses we rise above. There's no offense for any of us in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness. We can't even go to the Lord asking for it if we haven't given it to our brother. Those things are stumbling blocks. Those things are obstacles. Those things are standing in the way of the road. we got to clear those obstructions out of the house of God. Forgive each other. You know what? Whether you were offended or you offended that person, you be the one to go to them. Take that step. That's the heart of the Lord. He says, yeah, I see you're broken. I see you're debaucherous. I see you're backslidden. But guess what? I'm going to come heal you. I'm going to come heal you. I'm going to come meet you where you are because I love you. So it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. It's the light. It's the light. But it says here that these are spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And you remember earlier I read in that passage, he um, it, it said that he would accept the sacrifices again. He says, I'm going to accept your sacrifices again. But these are the sacrifices he wants. These that we just mentioned. So I I call you to that. You are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Through your testimony, the blood of the lamb. Amen. That's your portion. That's your portion. Father, we thank you. We praise you for this time today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart toward us, Lord, that you meet us even in our most broken places when we're sticking our tongue out at you and you're righteous. When we're flaunting it in your face, our adultery, our spiritual adultery, wetting ourselves to this world and playing the harlot, Lord. You've seen it. You know it. But you purify us. You purified us through the blood, through the sacrifice of your son on the cross. And you brought us back into marriage with you you reconcile this Lord and you did it for a reason you did it for many reasons but in this time God you've called us to live out the holy life to steward this revival God by honoring you by imitating your son and I pray the empowerment of the spirit and every soul in here to move in that way to be bold to be strong enough to forgive be strong enough to let offenses go to be strong enough to rise above the pettiness of this world, to achieve something far greater with eternal weight, and that's your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.